Yes, it's been some time, but I am back. My name is Rob Castellucci, uh, not to be confused with the talented Roberto Ramirez. Roberto has produced some great podcasts for LDC in the past few months, and I've been quite content just to sit back and listen to them in uh, podcaster retirement, if you will. But I had to make an exception with this episode. Uh, I had the opportunity and the privilege to interview the Mambo King, Mr. Eddie Torres, last week at the Chicago Salsa Congress. Uh, This was my first time meeting Eddie, and if I'm going to be completely honest, I was a bit nervous to go up to him, but uh, luckily my wife forced me to, and uh, I'm really glad that she did. Our interview touches on the past, the present, and the future of Latin dancing, and this is part one of our interview. We talk about how Eddie got into dancing, and much like me, it was because of a girl. We also talk about his work with Tito Puente, we talk Palladium, we talk Augie and Margot, and a whole lot more. If you're listening to this, also please check out the show notes on latindancecommunity.com for links that we mentioned during the interview. And now, with no further ado, I hope you enjoy my interview with the Mambo King himself, Mr. Eddie Torres. Eddie, thanks for speaking with me and with LatinDanceCommunity.com. Um, really appreciate it. It's an honor. Pleasure. It's a pleasure, man. I haven't been in Chicago now since uh, 2006. That's 10 years. Yeah. And uh, I know I know Paladin and Rosita for a long time. And I, I, I was just congratulating him yesterday, saying, wow, 16 years you've kept this event going. And uh, I, I don't think people realize how wonderful this cultural dance that we share that they call salsa today what it does for the community it not only enriches people's lives and gives them a new dimension it keeps youngsters off the street out of trouble a lot of positive positive things come about through the dance so yep. it's my pleasure to have been part of this whole development yeah and i know back in the 80s when there weren't too many believers in salsa dancing that's something you were very passionate about bringing into the mainstream, you had this vision for it. Uh, jumping forward just a little bit to this whole Congress, mm-hmm. right? The Congresses used to not even be a thing, right? This started, what, back in late 90s, early 2000s? Well, I'll what? tell you, the first Congress, the first Congress that I knew about, it started in Puerto Rico in 1997. That was the very first one. I always felt that the first Congress should have started in New York because New York was known as the Mecca, the place where, like the Palladium era, all the great bands, the real root of this, besides the music coming from Cuba, the influence of the Cuban, African, Afro-Cuban music, but New York was really where this whole thing started, and then it reached out to the world. Yeah. You know, so it's funny because we're surrounded by salsa dancers and musicians, but I know that in New York, when you grew up, you didn't have any dancers in the family, you didn't have any uh, singers or musicians in the family, right? How, how did you get from there to, to here? Well, I'll tell you, in my family, almost everyone in my family, starting with my father, they were all mechanics, mechanics, mechanics. And since I was a child and started, the the interest, as people well know this, because this is documented, the interest for this dance began with what I call a puppy love heartbreak. Wanted to go out with this girl. Long story short, I didn't know how to dance. So she invited me to the house. So I wanted to take her to a movie. And, and when I knocked on the door, she opened the door, and she, ha- she had the look of fright on her face. And her name was Renee. I says, are you okay? She goes, Eddie, I need to tell you something. She goes, 
my ex-boyfriend is here. I'm not going out with him. Imagine we were 12, 12 maybe 13 years old. Um, so, you know, I just want to introduce you quickly, and then we'll go to the movies. So she brings me in. He's sitting on the couch. You think he was happy to see me, Rob? So he's like, so there was tension. So what she thought of to break up that tension, she, she asked me if I knew how to dance. She says, do you know how to dance mambo? And, and I didn't know, but I, you know, I didn't want to look stupid. I said, of course. Little did I know she was going to put up music and ask me to dance, right? So I got up to dance with her and made the biggest fool out of myself. I had no clue. I was probably stepping all over her feet. So she winds up saying to me, Eddie, can I show you the way that we dance? You know, this is our style. So he gets up, of course, he starts dancing with her. And I, as I watched him dance, I was like, oh, my God, I wanted to crawl into the couch and just disappear, man. It was so embarrassing. So it winds up that she tells me, okay, I'm going to go with him. We're going to talk. We're going to break up. about. Maybe next week I'll see you. Didn't happen. All I know is I went home brokenhearted, and I said to myself from that day on, I said, you know what? I'm going to learn this dance because I don't want this to ever happen to me again. So there you go. That's how I started with this whole this quest of learning to dance and, yeah. and and of course it started with that motivation that motive of me I don't want to be in the situation but little did I know I was going to fall in love with the music and the dance mm. so then it, instead of it dancing to to be with girls or to meet girls it became dancing because I love to dance the music and it was a wonderful experience just dancing to this music right, right? and that's how it started and that we're talking about 1962 I was like 12 years old that when that happened and here I am in 1962, and I've been doing it now for like 54 years. And it's been a lifelong passion, and I knew very early that this was something I wanted to do, and I wanted to de develop it into a profession, and I wanted to make a living on it, and I wanted to share it with the world, because I always thought this music and this dance was probably the most, for me, the most beautiful music and dance in the world. and so. I struggle a lot because, uh, as I was telling you, during the late 70s and 80s, there's a dance, which we all know it's called The Hustle, which hit New York. And The Hustle just took New York by storm. So everybody that was, not everybody, but a lot of the people that were doing the mambo thing, everybody jumped on The Hustle. And then it was a struggle because now everything was hustle, hustle, all the clubs hustle. You know, it was amazing how, how, how much passion the people found in the dance. And then there was a market that just blew up. People were doing it in competitions. And, you know, all the hustle dancers, the teachers were making money. And here I was struggling to try to just keep this alive. But with the help of Tito Puente, which I started working with him with my wife in 1979, he was the one that gave me my first opportunity to really to showcase my talent on stage. And that's another story how it all came about with Tito. Yeah, I want to talk about this one experience. It was at an expo where Tito was playing, yes. and he had a hustle dancer dancing along to his music, and then you came on after. Is that right? Okay, well, you have it almost correct, but it, the, it wasn't an expo then. What you're talking about was an event that happened at the Madison Square Garden in New York City where the promoter, the, the, the biggest promoter in history, his name was, was Ralph Mercado, Ralph McCarter had always hired me to do the concerts with Tito, but when the hustle hit New York, since it was so popular, I called him up and said, Ralphie, I'm working in, in this concert with Tito, right? He says, 
Eddie, no, not this one, because now, you know, the big craze is the hustle. So we invited this team called the Disco Dance Dimensions, and they're going to do, like, in the halftime and the intermission, they're going to put on a show. So I don't think we're going to need you to put on your Latin. I said, wait a minute, Ralphie, you got a four-hour Latin concert with Latin music, and you're not going to show the people some Latin dancing and some mambo? He said, no, no, because, you know, we got to go with the market, and right now I see that the hustle's happening. And you know what I did? That really bothered me. So I called up Tito Puente, and I said, Tito, I just spoke to Ralphie. He's not going to let me work with you because now he wants to feature the hustle dances. And Tito said, what? He said, forget Ralphie. He said, you go on with me, and I'll tell him that, hey, look, I'm hiring you, and I'm going to pay you, and we're going to show him that, hey, the people, you know, if they come to a Latin concert to hear Latin music, they're going to want to see Latin dancing. So he said, just put on your best act for me that night, right? So sure enough, the night came. The first half of the concert finished. They introduced the disco dance dimensions, which were actually fabulous dancers. Mm. One of the dancers was Billy Fajardo, mm -hmm. and, and it was a great team. And they put on the show, and the people were enjoying it because it was really beautiful. But then on the second half, Tito Puente opens up the second half of the concert, and he plays two songs, and then he grabs the mic, and he tells the people, he says, now I'm going to bring on my, my dancers, Eddie and Maria. We're going to show you a little mambo like the way we used to do it back in the Palladium. Even just saying that, the people were already going crazy, right? Ah. So we came out, and Maria and I danced this tune, which is on, it's on YouTube also, called Palladium Days. And all I could tell you was it was probably the most fiery, the most pa passionate dance, because Tito told me, Eddie, we got, we got to show Ralph Ricardo tonight who's who and what's what with this music and dance. So Maria and I danced beyond, beyond ourselves. The crowd went... Give, started giving us a standing ovation halfway through. Halfway through, everybody's on their feet screaming, and Maria and I, wow, we're just going crazy. And then Ralph Picardo, I remember, was standing on the side watching this. And when the number finishes, as, as, as Tito says, Eddie and Maria, and we're walking off, he's walking off with us, and he, look, he goes to Ralph, he says, what you got to say now? And just like that, and Ralph, he goes, oh, okay, you proved your point. You know? <laughs> and then I said to myself, I said, Ralphie, how are you going to... Not put Latin dancing, you're making all this money with the Latin music, with the Latin dance, and you're going to say, I could see if he said, let's put hustle and Latin, but that, he, didn't, he didn't want us to dance that night. Yep. So that's why, the, why it offended me, because I just could not believe that in a, a concert of Latin music, he was not going to feature the dance that goes with that music. That's the story, okay? Okay. So the Expo was my debut with Tito Puente in 1979 in an, a place called the New York Coliseum which was in Manhattan on 57th Street, what they call the Circle. Mm. So that's another story, my debut yeah. with Tito Puente. Mm? <laughs> Got it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this idea of different cities and what, what they consciously and subconsciously tell you, right? So different cities have different themes. Um, San Francisco, where I live, a lot of people are into technology. So one of the themes there is, you know, you should be getting more power, for example. So that is, you know, start a big company that's very influential and, and make a difference in the world through that. Mm -hmm. uh, salsa, I'm also thinking it's so different when you go from city to city with how the salsa dancers are and how they look, but we do share these common themes, these common things that we believe. How would you describe New York City? And maybe the Bronx, maybe it varies from borough to borough, but um, New York City salsa dancing versus I know you're over in Italy and Milan, mm -hmm. Milan, right? So like, how, how do you think about the different cities and how you as a dancer would evolve based on where you live? Well, again, when, when you say New York City, again, you're, you're talking about probably the root of 
We know that this music, most of the credit I gave is, to, and Tito used to tell me too, that most of this music originates from Cuba, from Africa to Cuba to the world. And even that, there's always people arguing controversies about this, but I always say you got to give credit to where credit is due. And we know that the Cubans have given us so much, so much as far as music, their dance, you know, they just bless people with, with the, the richness of their music and their culture. But New York City, again, what happened was in New York City during the 40s, 50s, 60s, there happened to be a good time for some reason. First of all, the economy, I think, was, was good. In those days, we had live music everywhere, Rob, everywhere in, in New York. Every, every club featured live music. The clubs were big. You had the Copacabana. You had the Corso. You had all these marvelous clubs where in each club you'd have top bands. There was a club in the Bronx, which is where I live now, although I was born and raised in Manhattan, Spanish Harlem. Um, there's a club that, that existed in the 60s. It was known as the Hunts Point Palace, which I actually I have a shine called the Hunts Point Step because everybody in the Hunts Point was doing it. Now, we're talking about 1966. I was 16 years old in 1966, and that club would allow even the teenagers to come in from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 12 midnight, and for $5, Rob, you'd have five top bands. A huge ballroom, a main stage, big, beautiful stage up here. Down here on the side, they had a lower stage. So when you walk in, for example, on a Sunday afternoon, you'd walk in, and who would be on stage playing? Ricardo Ray. Okay? So Ricardo Ray's playing. He's finished. About 15 minutes later, on the second stage down here, you have Eddie Palmieri. Eddie Palmieri would play his set. He'd finish a little while later. Who's on stage? Larry Harlow. And I'm talking about, they didn't play. Five top name bands, $5. So that means back in the 60s, $5 was worth something. Yeah. Right? Now, what do you get today for $5? A Coke, maybe, you know? So, so I, I think about it now. I say, oh, my God, we had it made. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do, 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 you ever, do you ever struggle with that? Because for me... It is getting expensive to go out social dancing, and these congresses are expensive. But at the same time, you want to contribute to the community as well. You want this to grow. You want this to get bigger. How, how do you resolve that, the fact that it is more expensive now than it was back then to do some of these things, but at the same time, it makes our community stronger when you do it? Let me say this. This is the way I see things. People may not have money to eat, but they will find the money to go dance. Women may not have money to eat, but they will have money and find money to buy their shoes. You know what I'm saying? In other words, <laughs> it comes down to that. You will find a way. Today, of course, the economy shot. You know, we know that. We know that we're living actually in hard times. But the dance always has been like an escape, yeah. escape from the realities. So in that escape, once you discover it, it becomes something like, I got to go. I got to be there. I realized what, what, it, what dancing did for me besides the fact that it was something I love to do, but it was therapy. Yeah. Rob, I come from a major dysfunctional family, like most families, <laughs> you know, but every time that my heart got heavy or I, got, I was going through stuff, I would go to the dance hall, to the club, and dance it off. Yeah. And I discovered, I said, man, the dancing is really helping me because I let out all, I vent all the emotions, all the 
the, the sadness or whatever I was feeling at the time. So I discovered early in my life that dancing was, was therapeutic. Yeah. All it's, right? It's a lot cheaper than therapy. Huh. A lot cheaper. So, so in other words, today, like you say, things have changed. Like right now in New York City, you, do hard, you hardly see or hear Latin music, live Latin music anymore. It still exists, but it's rare. The big major clubs have all, most of, the, most of the big clubs have closed down. Why? Because, you know, especially in Manhattan, it costs a fortune to rent a little space. So because of the economy, so now all those big clubs, they can't afford the space. They can't afford to pay the bands, like the big bands like Tito Puente. So we had a golden era. That's why they called it, the Palladium era was known as the golden era. And, of course, people already know that one of the features of the Palladium, not only did it feature some of the top bands, like... Tito Puente, like Tito Rodriguez, like Machito, and so on and so forth. It, it was also an attraction because a lot of the movie stars in those years would go there to hang out and dance. Harry Belafonte, Marlon Brando, Elizabeth My. Taylor, they were all there. Sammy Davis, they would go wow. there and hang out. Not only that, they, I, I heard stories that Marlon Brando would sit in with the band and play a little bit of congas and everything. <laughs> So people would go there, they were attracted by the music, the great music of, of Tito Puente. And of course, you know about this rivalry that, that was known. Yeah, the, the, the big three. And, 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 and it was an amazing thing to hear Tito say that the rivalry was such a, a big thing that Tito would take his band and rent the space near the Palladium and rehearse the band for two hours because when he said, when I opened up that set, I wanted to be smoking. I didn't want to warm up. I wanted to be hot. And so with Tito Rodriguez. So you can imagine the audience appreciation of these two bands going at it, right? right. And then Machito, who was in the middle, he was like the referee of the whole thing. So it, it, it was a really magical time. It was a good time, right? Which, which today, I think about it now because I grew up in that era I didn't go to the Palladium. I'm second generation, but I grew up with all those bands. I grew up with around the Palladium dancers. And I tell these young people, I says, I wish I can take all of you back those years, 30, 40 years ago, because you guys, you're having fun now, but had you experienced it the way I did with that live music, with Tito, with being able to just be around all these great natural dancers, it, it was just phenomenal. So. Have you heard the Mambo Nicks, right? That's what they were called. The, yeah, the ones yeah. that were just obsessed yeah, yeah. with the Mambo. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, so I saw a great PBS documentary talking about the Palladium and mm -hmm. uh, Augie and Margot. Yeah, yeah. And when I saw them dance, that was the first black and white dancing I saw where it was like, wow, these guys look like they could have performed at a Congress that I went to last week. Are we talking about Augie and Margot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, with the spinning that they did, they were really one of the first ones that I've seen that introduced that kind of spinning, which well, was just it's incredible. Well, funny you should say time. that because Augie and Margot are what I consider my mentors. Okay. How? How did this happen? June Liberta, the lady that taught me everything about timing and theory, she told me, because I told her I wanted to perform with Tiro Puente. I said, that's what one of my dreams. She says, well, I'm going to take you, she told me, I'm going to take you next week to the Roseland Ballroom, which is no longer existing. She says, because Augie and Margo are performing with Tito Puente. And I was like, what? So she took me there. I sat there. Tito, the curtains open in Roseland. Tito's playing. Two songs later, he introduces Augie and Margo. Mm -hmm. they had, I remember they had a stage up here, and then they had an electric stage that in the middle of this stage, another stage would pull out electronically. Mm -hmm. So the stage comes out. Tito pre uh, presents Augie and Margo, and this team comes out. 
I don't think I blinked. I was like, and they started off with this slow bluesy number, which I'm sure you've seen it. And then after that, uh, they go and they change and they come back and they do like a mambo flamenco thing. And he does all these spins because Augie and Margo, so you know real quick, they used to also frequent the Palladium. They were just social dances, but they also had a vision of doing it at a professional level. Yeah. So I understand what they did was they got out the Palladium nightclub scene. They went and started taking ballet and jazz and flamenco and they, they put this act together. And with that act, they were able to travel the world. They danced for three presidents. They were an uh, opening act for 11 years for Sammy Davis Jr. And whenever they were in New York, of course, Tito would feature them, right? Yep. So when I saw this team performing with Tito, crystal clear, I said, that's what I want to do. That's it. That's what I want to do. And little did I know, as a matter of fact, I was just, I was just sharing with, uh, with the young man, Ron, that I received from them in Miami, one time, this, you know Billy Fajardo, right? Yep. He calls me up. He says, Eddie, uh, I need you to come down because we're going to present you the Augie and Margo Award. That was quite big for me. You know? So uh, Augie and Margo presented it to me themselves, and they knew it. I, to I, I told them the story because I knew them. I said, listen, you guys are my biggest inspiration as professionals because when I saw you with Tito that night at Roseanne, that just put the stamp on what I knew I wanted to do. This podcast was brought to you by LDC, a Latin dance community, your source for Latin dance articles, interviews, and events around the world. Find out more at www.latindancecommunity.com.